Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to another edition of the How to Bet, the Belmont Stakes podcast. Twin Spires and Brisnet uh, bringing you a, hopefully another enlightening series. Even if I don't win, maybe the information can help you. And uh, today, pleased to welcome Emily Gullickson from Optics, who uh, will no doubt have some interesting information on handicapping not only the Belmont Stakes, uh, but also the entire festival card, uh, Belmont Park and New York Racing Association tracks, uh, prominent among the great information available at opticseq.com. So definitely check that out, not only this week, but uh, all weeks. And with Saratoga and Delmar coming up, I'm sure there'll be uh, the customary great information available there as well as at brisnet.com slash Belmont. So uh, we'll get the websites out of the way before we bring Emily on, but uh, appreciate Scott Shapiro joining us yesterday. I thought it was a good discussion about sort of 30,000 foot view of approaching these big festival style weeks of racing. We see it with the Derby, the Breeders' Cup, Belmont Park's done similar now with the Belmont Stakes. And uh, we don't have all the fields yet for Saturday, so uh, me and Emily won't be getting too deep into the weeds of handicapping these actual races, but similar to yesterday, just kind of taking a survey approach to how a handicapper uh, should think about these these big weekends and money management type stuff and uh, just what's good to look for in terms of vulnerable favorites and the opposite uh, races maybe to key on strong opinions and multi-race sequences etc. So without further ado, uh, let's welcome Emily. Uh, how are you? I'm doing well, Ed. How are you? I'm excellent. I uh, want you to know I'm missing the third at Fairmount for this podcast, so ranking pretty high. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll catch the replay to, to see how I do there, but uh, even bigger riches await, of, co- of course, this week with the Belmont Stakes and all the good racing Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Have you looked at anything for this week? And I don't ask that because I expected you to, but just curious before we get into it. Um, I just started to look over Friday at Belmont. Um, I'm about halfway through the card. Um, okay. Other than that, I looked at, uh, you know, some Santa Anita stuff, so I'm covering that track. But as far as Belmont, yeah, about halfway through. And does halfway through Friday, I mean, you you did Thursday, or are you just looking at the big stakes days for Belmont this week? Um, you know, I, I, I looked at Thursday just kind of at a glance. Um, I, I was initially planned to be at Santa Anita on Thursday, so I was going to be traveling, and I wasn't really going to have much time to look at the card, so um, I'm just going to kind of play it on the fly, which it's nice mm. about off is done and everything like that so pretty much you know i can i can play race by race yeah agreed uh i'm very similar um you know with always i can basically compartmentalize the race how i want and then from there go go to optics and um move up move down horses or i mean sometimes uh software certainly imperfect but uh with the notes feature uh, a lot of reasons maybe to a horse that was overlooked or a reason to oppose uh, the, the favorite, et cetera. So, uh, like you said, a, a great tool uh, both for preparation and if you just want to dive into a card uh, that maybe you, you didn't think you'd get to. Uh, the reason I was curious about Thursday, though, is, is Scott, uh, our buddy Scott Shapiro, who was on yesterday, 
uh, tweeting effusive praise for the, the card on Thursday. So uh, I haven't dug in yet, but I'm looking forward to being there for sure. Yeah. Are you actually and, going uh, out tomorrow? I am. I leave tomorrow, Wednesday morning. Oh, I... Do you need me to do wind work for you? <laughs> what work? Wind work. Oh, I have no idea what that is. Uh, that, like, Ragazin used to go on and on about how he had guys in the grandstand measuring the wind. Oh, yeah. You know, if you uh, actually, if you have somebody at Woodbine, I would appreciate it because that's, that's where I'm <laughs> with the wind currently. All right. Uh, well, I'll be up there for Queen's Plate, so maybe we can have enhanced coverage for the, the big weekend. Uh, well, uh First things first, though, big week here. And, uh, you know, Scott and I talked a a lot yesterday uh, about the approach to the big day. And, you know, obviously, like you and I mentioned, uh, a lot of races, maybe you just dip into a race here or there. You prepare for a day of racing. If you know you're going to be there, as you you did with Santa, well, would have done with Santa Anita had it not canceled. Uh, The Belmont's in that category for me, uh, and flying helps too because you can sort of use that time on the plane to look. Uh, But what's your approach when when the big day comes? It's going to be, I think, what, 13 races, a lot to go over. How do you – what's your first sort of 10 minutes with the card uh, to get familiar with it? Um. I mean, I, I, I really don't do anything much different than I do, a, you know, a regular card. I mean, my handicapping process pretty much stays the same. Uh, look at each race, you know, starting with the favorite. Is the favorite, um, is it vulnerable? Is it strong? You know, and then just kind of handicap from there. And then um, that's pretty much kind of my my approach. It really doesn't change much, you know, going in day to day or doing analysis for, you know, whatever track. Um yeah, not not much different. And again, like you know, a lot of my work is is done. You know, I don't have to go in and do replays, which is something in the past I would have had to do. So uh, my handicapping process is much quicker than it than it was a couple years ago. Now I'm I'm guessing we're in the opposite ends of this spectrum. But do you do you you mentioned you know identifying the favorite going from there to assess his or her chances. Do you get more excited about a favorite you can sink your teeth into or one that you want to beat? Um, uh, definitely one I want to beat. Um, because usually they're ones that are, you know, ones that look like everybody's going to latch onto them as the horse, you know, the type of favorites that I really want to, like, reach out on the horse, type of horse that, like, everybody's on but I have information or the way that I see the race that I think that this horse is vulnerable. It's usually, um, you know, more form cycle type stuff that, or, you know, a distance or something. And those are the races that get me really excited because I know the horse is going to be just a huge favorite on the board and multi-race sequences. So finding one of those, that's, uh, that's kind of part of handicapping a card and sort of building around that. Yeah. And, and with the, I mean, any day there's favorites that you know the public's going to fall in love with, whether, you know, a trainer or just certain angles that, you know, just, just get bet, and they would have been the favorite anyway. And you, you add a variable or two, and the money really pours in. Um, we'll certainly see that Saturday, I think. Uh, Songbird, probably the biggest favorite of the weekend. Uh, I haven't looked too closely at the Friday card, so maybe there will be another horse there, but... 
certainly uh, she's one. Uh, for me, it's not that type of favorite that I get excited about, but there are some races, and I, I think on the bigger day, you tend to get it may, maybe more, and it's, it's certainly anecdotal, but I think of some Breeders' Cup days where you just love a horse and they're going to be two to one, whereas on a regular, even a grade one stakes day, maybe they would have been three or four to five. Um, but but that's where I get excited, where you actually have a horse who has a big chance to win uh, and maybe, I mean, maybe overlays too strong a word, but at least is fair value. And to me, as a multi-race player, I really like to build around those horses. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a balance. You want to beat the favorite everyone's on, but at the same time, me much more than a lot of handicappers I know I'm definitely willing to sort of plant my flag on a with a favorite too so uh, different way of looking I, at it but that's sort of my approach well sorry uh, I, I think there's a delay on the phone um, I think that our approach is, is pretty similar in the sense and I don't think people do this enough is spending enough time to really assess that favorite and understand that if it is you know weak, vulnerable, strong, and then building your opinion on that, that everybody just kind of starts, you know, going at a race and is trying to pick the winner instead of, you know, deciding like, what is this, you know, what is this race all about? How is it going to be bet? How is it, you know, and, and I think from a gambling perspective that the way that you look at it, the way that I look at it, that's something that, that should be done a little bit more and emphasized in a handicapping process. And just kind of going one through whatever and just scrolling through each horse. Yeah, and the, the part of that that really resonates with me is, uh, and I've mentioned this many times, but just this onus of picking the winner and everyone thinking that they have to have some uh, top pick in every race, which, I, I mean, to me, I know people have value in that. They want to know who I think and so to speak, but from a handicapping perspective, when mapping out your wagering plays and such, uh, you know, to me, that's just a wrong way to look at every race, race to race. So, uh, yeah, that's basically simpatico there, I would say. Uh, the, the Belmont Stakes, uh, certainly the, the big one of the week and, uh, you know, in many ways unique in the in the Triple Crown, the Derby has its 20 horses and a mile and a quarter for the first time. Uh, but but the Belmont, um, you know, mile and a half, this one looks to be a bigger field. Uh, some jockeys who maybe aren't as familiar with uh, the, the big, you know, mile and a half at, at Belmont and the sweeping turns, et cetera. How does the, the, the variables present in the Belmont stakes, what, what do you value most when looking at this race? Uh, and and what do you think is maybe overplayed when it comes to the Belmont? Well, I know, uh, I mean, really, like I said, the handicapping process is kind of the same. So I'm I'm looking at those four factors. You know, I'm looking at pace, I'm looking at class, I'm looking at speed, and I'm looking at form. And and that to me is like that's the most important part is understanding that element with each horse. And then you can you know kind of start to break it down a little bit further. You know, as far as like upgrading horses, downgrading horses, separating horses as far as, you know, maybe this rider's a little bit familiar, maybe, you know, this barn is cold when they ship here, you know, taking those other factors into it. But for me, everything starts with, with the horse. Um, you know, is the horse fast enough? Uh, is the horse in good form? Does this horse belong at this level? 
um, and, and does the pace scenario shake out for, for this horse? Can this horse win with their running style? So those are the most important things for me when I'm, when I'm looking at any horse race, but, you know, specifically Belmont. And where, um, any, uh, any jockey preference? Do you, do you upgrade for someone who's familiar with Belmont or, or done well in the race before, or if the horse is good enough is, is the jockey, I mean, barring, you know, a name that would scare you off anyway. Um, is, is that just something where you kind of feel like, okay, the horse, the odds compensate for, you know, the ride he, or he may or may not get, and you don't worry as much about the jockey? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably say that, that it would have to be more more of an odds thing. And, again, just, you know, one of those kind of like third-tier factors that, that I would be looking at. I wouldn't necessarily have it put me off a horse like, oh, I'm not going to use that horse because, you know, this rider's never ridden here. But, you know, you would want to see, like you said, some some type of compensation. And, and usually, you know, usually it's there. And if it's not, then probably opens opportunities elsewhere. Yeah, I, I always think back to 09 and, you know, people will say, oh, Calvin with Mind That Bird and the Belmont, you know, how could you bet Calvin at Belmont? And, I mean, to me, yeah, I guess he may have been even lower if the race were Churchill, but, I mean, he he took a lot of money given relative to his odds in the Derby in the Preakness um, with a different rider on. And uh, I always just think that, the, the price is probably the price and people really aren't betting jockeys as much in the, in the Belmont and the pools are so big anyway, the people who are betting jockeys, you know, what, what kind of money is that? So I've always kind of felt like you're getting the price you want. If you think the horse is good enough or you're not and don't bet, but the jockey isn't going to be the deciding factor for me. No, me either. Uh, what, one thing I, I asked, uh, what's, with Scott and I know uh, with all your replay uh, experience, uh, keenly aware of um, how track plays and trouble and, and things of that nature. How much do you use a Thursday and Friday of a big race week uh, to shape your handicapping on Saturday in terms of running styles, winning parts of the track, winning uh, is, is that something that you'll acutely be aware of? Thursday and Friday for your Saturday handicapping or have you found that when the big day comes it's it's a different day um I try to treat each day you know each day as its own when it's a track I'm not familiar with um like Preakness for example you know I don't really follow Pimico on a daily basis so I went back and just kind of looked at like the last few racing days plots just to see if I could see their you know, really any type of pattern or is there something, you know, certain horses I should upgrade at, at surface distance, things like that. Um, Belmont, you know, a, a lot of the horses, I mean, obviously we don't have the past performances and stuff, but, you know, I've run over the track. It, it typically plays fair, but um, I would be more, um, you know, willing to adjust on the fly if I start seeing like, you know, certain horses winning and, you know, recognizing a, a track variation. But again, it's one of those things I, I try to not think about so much um, that I would rather just make those adjustments ahead of time than, you know, play the what if game three days out. 
Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, you and I are both, uh, you know, we, we play or watch or somehow involved every day, and we're also pretty heavily in, involved in, in social media or at least aware of, of the chatter around us. What's, uh, what's your advice for people who um, may find themselves second-guessing themselves because of something they've read or someone else's opinion? How do you sort of decide what's signal and what's noise and, you know, how much of it to pay attention to, et cetera? Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of a tough question. I mean, I guess it's, it's one of those things where I, I would pretty much think about it in any way that you wouldn't want to change what you're doing the day of. So if you're, you know, you're handicapping all the time and you don't listen to anybody, then why would you for one particular day? Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of good information out there. So, you know, find people that, that are providing information and finding reason that, that at least makes sense to you, even if you don't agree with it necessarily. Um, I think that's good. You know, I'm kind of one of those, like, even when I read an analysis of somebody's like, oh, race three, one, three, six, seven, I feel like, you know, I want to be like a math teacher and like, show your work. Like, why are those horses? Why are we just throwing out numbers? Um, you, you know, so that, that's what I would think, look about more and uh, listening more for that being uh, different people's information, um, you know, good information to me that I use probably just because it's available. We talked about it during Derby are the, um, the workout videos. Um, I just saw Epicarius, uh, currently the two horse <laughs> in alphabetical order. Uh, the horse that's coming over is in the UAE Derby. Um, you know, I, I liked his work. Um, I didn't think it was anything that was like super flashy, but that's kind of not what you wanted to see. But what I, what I did see that I liked, I liked the way the horse got over the track, um, you know, was, was changing leads on cue, which is something that with a lot of horses that have come over for this race, they haven't done in the past. So, you know, that's an important thing I want to see. So there's, there's a lot of good information that's out there. Um, but I would kind of keep it to what you, what you normally do for, for handicapping. Um, and if you do want to try something new, maybe not try it on, you know, a day that you're betting more than you normally would on a Saturday, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, a absolutely. Uh, yeah, for for me, uh, the show your work, I think, is a big uh, – I wish racing did more of that. Uh, you know, I, I play – I don't want to say a lot of poker, but enough poker and – um, I, I like to read about it and, you know, strategy type stuff. And, you know, in poker, it's pretty accepted that you can absolutely 100% have made the wrong decision uh, and still have won the pot. But that doesn't mean your decision is going to be correct in the long run. And in racing, I, I find that far too many people think that if you cashed on the race, then that you must have been right. And that's, that's just, that's wrong. That's <laughs> You can, you know, still luck into the winner, um, you know, faulty logic or, or whatever. And uh, I do wish there was just a, sort of more of that, you know, less results-oriented uh, back padding, uh, which I'll be the first to celebrate my own winner. But at the same time, I, I definitely think there's a big deficiency in sort of, a showing your work ahead of time and then B just you know honest reflection after the fact that just because you won maybe you didn't deserve to or you know you got away with one but 
um, I, I'm with you there for sure. I, I do wish more people showed their work, so to speak. Uh, I know you wanted uh, to ask we'll, me about, uh, about uh, layoffs. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> you what? I know you wanted to ask me about pace and layoffs. Those are the two things I was uh, halfway prepared for. Yeah, we, okay, well, uh, we're, we're getting to pace now because I just pulled up the, uh, the the plot, which obviously is preliminary pending the actual uh, draw. Uh, I am happy to, to see uh, Classic Empire as a square at least. Um, but, you know, the, the Belmont Stakes sort of leans into that mile, mile and a half, uh, going back to that topic. Uh, it seems like we've gotten away from assuming closers do well just because it's a longer race, uh, which is good. Um, definitely a, a race that you can sort of take control of and and go from there. Um, what what horses or, I guess, group of horses without knowing the field at this point, but what, what do you look for in pace that says to you, hey, this horse might have an edge in the Belmont Stakes? Well, you know, John put out, and I think you were you you helped him out on this, um, putting out the the plots for the last the last three four years of uh, the Belmont Stakes, and every single one of those winners and most of the first three finishers were all squares. So for me, that's you know that's kind of where you know my handicapping is, and in these triple crown races, you know, and squares being like you said that you know there was this. Um, I don't know what it was, but a thought that like closers did well in the Belmont. And, and I think probably what was going on is there's horses with a strong finishing kick that do well in the Belmont. And that might, you know, that kind of leans in with why they're squares. Squares are horses that have a better finishing kick. And again, it's all relative to the horses that are in the field. So for me, that's, you know, that's kind of where I want to start. Um, you know, also uh, quadrant four, you know, those kind of mid pass deep closers, um, they don't necessarily win. They, you know, those last four years, granted it is only those four years. We only have four races of data, but um, they, you know, are more underneath players, even a horse like creator. who we think of as a deep closer, he's in quadrant two. So he's, you know, he's kind of in the back. I think he's kind of halfway between quadrant two, quadrant three, but technically kind of quadrant two horse um, and also a square. So that's, that's what I'm looking at. Um, but then, I I'm kind of, I started to look at Irish Warcry a little bit more, and um, and he's a circle, and I've been kind of looking at this um, sort of for my own handicapping, just as far as like, you know, when people talk think about plot, especially new users to plot or people that really haven't experienced it and they've just seen Twitter, um, you know, they kind of think about it as a black box, and it's still a tool that I'm learning with. So I've been looking at a lot of quadrant one courses that um, when it's a sort of a lighter quadrant one um, horses that have been either against the flow and um, were on the pace circles kind of upgrading them last time out. So uh, a horse like Irish war cry um, who, who has some things that, that I don't like, but you know, one as far as the pace being a circle in quadrant one, going back to the Derby, he was a square in quadrant one. So I'm, I'm a little bit, I can be a little bit forgiving at the right price of him being a circle just kind of thinking that, you know, he only ran half that race and was kind of, you know, eased up the rest of the way, was maybe on not the greatest part of the track. Um, maybe class is over, no question, but I could think maybe um, he would be a square also on grid when I pull up sort of the days since last. If you look at those races that are um, 
greater than 30 days, all those 35-day layoffs, um, it's an easy filter for us. I'll take a screenshot and post it up on Twitter. Um, but when he comes back in 35 days, which is what he's doing in the Belmont, that's when he runs his best races. So those are, you know, those are things that sort of playing around a plot that I'm looking at and then sort of taking a risk that even though circles don't win, his positioning is good. And if he's a square today, maybe that's the right position to be in. Yeah, and I actually that was my next question, which you answered most most of it. But Irish War Cry interested me. Um, you know, I like the position certainly, um, and it's the type of race where you know maybe could run away from him uh, from there. And I I think back to the Derby, which uh, you know it was a strong second choice for me behind Classic Empire, and you know if you think well the, the way the the track played that day, you, you know just he didn't get the better trip between him and and uh, always dreaming, and you know to me I think that trip if he goes on with it at Belmont I don't even think Classic Empire is going to beat him. Um, so how much yeah. do you look and and what I guess what notes too in the grid could could people zero in on that tell people hey look at what happened last time and maybe that's an excuse. Uh, to, you know, forgive this time at the right price. Yeah, so if you go back to, you know, kind of starting off with the Holy Bull, which he, he ran on a 35, exactly 35-day layoff, and he ran, um, as far as optics figure goes, his best race. It's a 108, a B+, and that's in a grade two race. And then when he came back on 28 days in the Fountain of Youth, he ran kind of a, a clunker race, sort of the same race he ran in the Derby. When he had 35 days going into the Wood Memorial, um, you know, uh, he ran it another good race. You know, he looked really dominant on the quad again, a big square in quadrant one and uh, won that race. And then going into the derby back on 28 days. So he kind of has this pattern of maybe needs a little bit more time between races. But if you're taking that theory, then, um, you know, this is, this is ideal for him. Um, getting into those factors you were talking about earlier, those kind of third tier factors. I mean, grand motion, somebody that can train a horse to get the distance. Um, you know, as far as, again, it's a type of horse for me. It's not, I'm not super strong. Like, I don't feel like, you know, he'd be a single for me. Um, but I think he's going to be some value. And I think there's, there's things to like about him, um, as far as, as far as a rebound. Um, if he was like the favorite for whatever reason, then I would have no problem going outside of that pick. Yeah. Well said that pretty much where I'm at. Unfortunately, my, my other horse is the favorite. Um, so we'll, I'm eager to see how the, the Maltese lay out and um, what I can do with those. Uh, you know, after those two, there's a lot of different directions uh, you can go. Um, it's, to me, it, it's never an all race. I mean, there's just some horses who are, who are going to be overmatched and, um you know, people could point to Sarava or Datara. Um, I would say that, I mean, they, neither was by no means, a, I don't even think a, a B for me, but I didn't think they were hopeless, whereas the Belmont has had some truly hopeless horses. On the win end, uh, like you said, there's, you know, maybe a chance to uh, clunk up or underneath pipes, but I, I'm definitely playing the race where, you know, my stronger opinions need to run well or I'm going to get beat. It's, it's not the type of race where I just kind of throw darts. Not that I yeah, ever mean, throw darts, but especially in the Belmont, <laughs> I, I think 
there there's opinions you can zero in on, and if you're wrong, you're wrong. But you know, to me, it's that type of race where you, especially with 13 horses, where you can get paid. You know, if you have the right opinion and bet it accordingly. Right, right, and I and I think that having you know having some of this information and and having certain horses, and I, I think this is important for you know any race, but um, especially the you know Belmont, or a, a lot of attention is on the race where there's certain horses where you just, you know, you make a decision on this horse, like, I like this horse, but he's just not good enough to win, um, so I'm not using him in the win spot, and making that your opinion, you know, or this this horse, I don't like this horse, and I'm not using him, then, like, don't use him, you know, like, have your reasons, have your, you know, why you don't think he should win, he's not good enough, he's not fast enough, doesn't want the distance, bad run style, um, you know, those type of things, and, you know, play play that horse out. Um, I, I think it's, I think that's kind of the, you know, the approach with it, especially, you know, if you like a horse like classic empire who, you know, you can't really follow I mean, he's a class of the field. He looks great on the plot. Um, you know, it's just, I, I don't know. I just can't get excited about him. <laughs> so, well, yeah. I mean, I love the horse uh, as everyone knows by now, but you know, he's, he's going to be favored in this race and he wasn't in the last two. So, um, you know, hopefully I'll, I'll like some prices and um, elsewhere have something clever to use them with and, you know, cheer them home to win for various reasons. But I mean, I'm with you uh, nine to two, five weeks ago and two to one, two weeks ago, he looked a lot better than, you know, six to five here, but maybe with 13 horses and, uh, everyone kind of throwing their hands up on him. Uh, maybe he'll drift up a little bit, but yeah, tough, tough to get excited about for sure on the win end. Uh, the layoff was something I wanted to ask you about, not so much because of the Belmont stakes, but uh, Songbird uh, comes to mind. And uh, I was just curious as an optics user, but then in general handicapping principles, with a layoff of that long, uh, do you find that the, the plot still holds up? Is there, you know, would you say it gets a little fuzzier? Are horses typically sharper than maybe the plot would indicate? What What's your sort of gauge on, you know, 90, 180 day off horses and what to do with them in terms of how you think they'll run in a particular race? Um, you know, I think every, every horse you should, you know, you should look at differently. Um, a horse that's that classy of a horse, I would, I would imagine the prop, the plot probably is, is pretty reliable for that spot. Um, you know, if it's, if it's a, you know, a claiming type horse that's coming off a layoff and, you know, it's had a barn change and is dropping or something, you know, something like that, you might want to you know, use some of your other factors in handicapping and kind of go back and forth with the plot. Um, but yeah, I would say, you know, for a songbird type scenario, and again, I haven't looked at that race, um, obviously, but uh, is that Friday or Saturday? Saturday? She's Saturday, yep. And it's the last leg of the pick five, so that if there's any shot that you have a beaten her, uh, you know, that could pay huge. But, um, you know, at the same time, a lot of people are going to be singling her for sure. Yeah, I think that, you know, I, I, like because of her class, because of, you know, as, of who she is and, and she's been working in Southern California. So, of course, you can find workout reports on her. Um, but I would find the plot is pretty reliable. 
you know, you can also use your filters and grid, like how, how does that horse go off, run off the layoff if they've ever done that before. I think that's very helpful to just kind of see, do they run good races off the layoff? Um, you know, I'd be looking at speed figure as well as grade because sometimes, you know, you just want to compare those two. Sometimes it's a good race, but a bad figure and just kind of having a little bit of accountability on there. Um, you know, like I did for Irish War Cry, you kind of see that pattern of this horse likes a little bit more time between races. He might be an upgrade. Uh, those are the things I look for as far as, you know, layoffs. And is there a, a certain layoff that for you it's sort of like all bets are off? Um, I've talked about this on a few videos, um, and this is one that, that John's kind of pointed out to me. I, I don't like horses that have a lot of consecutive layoff lines. Um, that bothers me because that's just yeah. – those horses, for the most part, they're just – there's something that's just not right, um, you know, for a horse, especially when it's, you know, it's a horse that's like uh, – you know, needs to earn a check, right? Um, <laughs> those type of horses, and you see them lay, laid off a lot, there's just something not right. So those are the ones I, I kind of steer clear of. Um, but, yeah, there's – I, I wouldn't say there's, like, one, you know, one rule um, for that. Yeah, and, and that's probably the, the case with a lot. I mean, and, and as you said, the, the workout reports, uh, one benefit from – Having some Southern California shippers, no shortage of, of good opinions on how horses look out there. And uh, I know uh, that's available both at Optics and uh, Brisnet. So depending on who you like or uh, what you want to check out, uh, workout reports are available at both places. And, uh, yeah, that's always good information and, you know, helpful to maybe signal a, a form change or if they're ready off the layoff, et cetera. Uh, any other uh, thoughts as we head into to Belmont week? Uh, no, not really. Again, I haven't done, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. Obviously, they're going to draw tomorrow. So waiting, uh, waiting on that and kind of get through preliminary Friday today and look at the, the rest of the card tomorrow. Good. All right. Well, uh, we put your, your, well, both our Twitter handles are in the description. So those listening can, uh, pop in and follow us and we'll have plenty of uh, info. Are you doing a, a Belmont State video with uh, the plot and grid? I believe so. I believe so. Probably do that Thursday since my other gig got canceled. Yeah. All right. Well, I definitely uh, have enjoyed uh, those to date. And uh, will that be the only race? I know you've, you've done some Friday races the last two, but um sort of a different format with the Belmont? I guess it just depends on what, you know, how, how much time I have. And sometimes I'm just looking at a race and I'm like, I just want to do a video on this race. Like I just, you know, I see something that um, 140 characters just like isn't enough and I just want to do a video. So I'll just hit record and like throw a video on. So if something comes up, I'll definitely, I'll do it. And maybe something on this card will come up as I, as I keep working through. But yeah, I'll definitely have uh, at least one, at least a Belmont video. Right. All right. Another reason to follow Emily, make sure uh, you don't miss any of those videos if she decides to hit record, but uh, appreciate the time. Uh, good sure. information as always. And uh, looking forward to seeing how it shakes out. I'll certainly be cheering in some fashion for classic empire though. Um, you know, maybe a Irish war cry. Uh, who's the 
man, I can't even think of the horse's name, but it'll be a huge price. I think it begins with an H. An One H. of the squares, sort of. Oh, Hollywood something? Yeah. Hollywood. Dallas Stewart. Although everyone bets Dallas underneath now in these races, so. Yeah, Hollywood that horse looks like. I mean, obviously, he could be underneath. He looks like a little bit of a downgrade off that last race. Um, I would. I. I think I'm confused. Um, that the horse coming over from Japan. I. I will mess around with that horse. It's not like that's not a, a normal thing. He's shown. A, he's shown some class in his races, and again, I like the way he looked over a track. So I'm. I'm not against that horse. Yeah. No. Me. Me neither. I. I have a long-standing anti-UAE. Derby bias uh, when it comes to the Kentucky Derby, but um, you know I think a win is, is a tallish order just with the ship and things like that. But no reason to think he he can't run well, and at least he's been there a week, so you know definitely some acclimation versus you know Thunder Snow shipping in on Monday or Tuesday whenever that was. Um, so yeah, right. definitely some things to love. Hopefully the price then, will be part of it. Um, you know. So the Ken- Breeders' Cup as well, so that's kind of another positive for for a horse like that. They're already kind of, you know, that high on him that they're thinking that's that's a possibility. So I I find all that interesting. Um, He's a horse that going into the U.S. Derby prior to the race, um, he just looked he looked like an absolute standout. Like he's just a beautiful horse, carried himself well. So I would you know if you're on track and just kind of looking at at horses on the track. I'd be looking for positive signs from him visually. Yeah, and I think a lot of people here, uh, you know, Thunder Snow, obviously the Kentucky Derby uh, didn't go according to plan, and, and that'll be fresh in people's minds when they see the, the, the running line in the UAE Derby. But he did come back to finish again uh, to Churchill and the Irish Guineas. So, um you know, the the form uh, has held up when he's actually gotten to run his race. Uh, obviously, uh, that that was turf, but, um, yeah, to, to me, there's there's nothing to steer away from him, uh, especially at what I think will be, you know, an okay price to, to fool around with the other horses. So, uh, we'll see how he looks on track, and uh, I'm, not, I'm not a big morning guy just because I don't do it all year, but I'll certainly be interested to, to hear what, People are saying uh, when I'm at Belmont, uh, those who who have seen him and have a little more familiarity with with horse flesh and stuff. So, hopefully, some good information to be had. Done. All right. Well, uh, we'll see if you have any videos uh, online later in the week, and certainly handicapping thoughts, uh, I'm sure. But uh, as I said, uh, our, our Twitter handles are in the description, so you could follow myself and Emily there. Uh, have a excuse me have a link to optics in there along with the Belmont reports at Brisnet and the PPs are available already for uh, the contender and we'll update those tomorrow with the the final post position and morning line Emily it's been a pleasure oh likewise thanks Ed all right thank you Emily and thank you all for listening uh, to episode two of how to bet the Belmont Stakes podcast uh, we'll be back uh, later in the week uh, hoping to do two more of these. Uh, to uh, look at not only the Belmont Stakes, but uh, a blockbuster day of racing, 10 stakes total or maybe nine, uh, enough. Uh, All stakes pick six, huge pick four, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So 
look for the next uh, show uh, to discuss that, and uh, hopefully we'll win some money. Take care, everyone.